Is it nice to be above 30 today? Beautiful weather. It's like shocking when the sun shines, isn't it? Amen. Great to see everybody here today. I think it was 2002 where I was a 23-year-old seminary student, and I was invited to go with some of the other students and a couple of the other professors go to this conference. It was a conference dedicated to preaching. The conference was really advertised to be focused on uh, thinking about how to preach in a postmodern context. I think that word is pretty much over now, <laughs> uh, although we may still hear of its rumblings. But at that time, that's what it, everybody was talking about. How do you reach a, a postmodern world and how do you preach to a postmodern society? So when we got there, the plenary speaker was announced and he didn't immediately come forward. Usually when you announce a speaker, the speaker gets up and he starts to talk, right? Well, that's not what happened. Matter of fact, when the speaker was announced, uh, the cue was given to the tech guy to put something up on the screen. And all of a sudden, we all saw this video, this compelling image of a little girl on a swing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And it was uh, going on so long that it got a little bit awkward, as you might imagine. But nonetheless, it continued, and then it came to an end, and the speaker came forward and asked the question, what did that mean to you? And it wasn't, uh, it was kind of a setup, actually, for his thesis, that in order to reach a postmodern society, images, visuals, are going to have to take the prominent place as a way to communicate meaning. He's saying in a postmodern society we need to communicate truth in images. The insinuation was subtle, but it was very clear that words won't work to reach a postmodern context. Al Mohler, some of you may know who he is. He's the president of a seminary, Southern Baptist Seminary. He blogged about a photographer named uh, Richard Avedon, who declared this, images are fast replacing words as our primary language. Also in this book, The Rise of the Image, The Fall of the Word, author Mitchell Stevens of New York University, otherwise known as NYU, argues that the image is replacing the word as the predominant means of mental transport. How do these cultural shifts influence how we worship? Should we look to convey meaning in worship primarily through pictures, 
videos, technological creations, graphics. Should we cancel this sermon altogether, which makes up about 50% of our worship gathering? The question I'm asking today is this, as we continue in this series, is this clicking a little bit? The question I'm asking is this, has preaching lost its place in our worship? Or maybe more profoundly, has the Word of God lost place and meaning? In our lives. Something to think about. After all, this is a series on worship, right? And preaching takes up 50% of the time that we spend. And culture is moving towards images and graphics and videos. Maybe we should make a shift to be more relevant to the society in which we live. These questions we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 14 into chapter 4, verse 4. Turn in your Bibles. Let's read together. Let's listen. Let's ask the question, what place does preaching have in the context of a worship service? Really, what place does the Word of God have over God's people and their lives? Verse 14 says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, And by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is the word of the Lord. Amen? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God abides forever. If you look back at the story of how the church began, and basically, right after the resurrection, there's a, 
there's a, a consistent theme that is uh, being emphasized by the writers of the Bible. So if you go back to Luke chapter 24, you'll see a very clear charge that Jesus gives to the disciples. Jesus charged the disciples to preach and proclaim the Word of God, the Scriptures, His name among the nations, right? So at the end, after His resurrection, Jesus tells them very clearly, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. And so He opens their minds to understand the Scriptures. And He says, thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that, listen, listen to this, that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations. A very clear charge that Jesus gives to His church. Proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to all nations. And then we see in Acts chapter 2, after they're filled with the Spirit, that Peter preaches that first sermon of the church. And what does Peter faithfully do? When they ask him, what should we do in response to the fact that we have killed the Son of God and that He is now risen from the dead? What should we do? What does Peter say? He proclaims it, right? Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. So there's this uh, following through on the charge of proclaiming a word, proclaiming a message of repentance, proclaiming a message of forgiveness of sin in the name of Jesus. That's what the church does. And then... Verse 41, those who received his word were baptized. 3,000 people heard the word, received the word, were transformed by the proclamation and embracing of the word. Now we have the church, 3,000 souls. And what does the church do? The very next verse, Acts 2.42. And they what? They devoted themselves to what? The apostles teaching, to the message, to the word, to the proclamation of the gospel. They devoted themselves to this word. Acts 3 and 4, Peter goes into the temple, right? The hour of prayer. He heal a crippled beggar. They're threatened, arrested, and they're asked to give account of on what name they performed this healing. And what do they say? In the name of Jesus. Right? They're proclaiming a message. Acts 5. Every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Acts 6, there's so much going on as the church is growing. The apostles, what do they do? They realize we have a problem, that they need to delegate the distribution of food to the widows. Why? 
It's not right that we should give up preaching the word, they say, Acts 6. We will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of what? The word. The word was central to their mission. It was central to their worship. It was central to all that they did. The ministry of the word of God. The preaching of the word. The public declaration of Christ. Of repentance. Of forgiveness of sin. Of salvation. It was not right that they should be distracted in any way, shape, or form from the central activity. The declaration of the word of God. And then we know Saul is converted in Acts chapter 9. And he's called to what? To proclaim the message of Christ to the Gentiles. And in Acts chapter 16, he teams up with a young man named Timothy. Timothy, right? In all his missionary journeys, he teams up with Timothy. And then he leaves Timothy in a city named Ephesus to pastor a congregation And what is his pastoring uh, focused on? Teaching the truth. The ministry of the word of God. In his opening letter to Timothy, what does he say? I charge you to teach people not to put up with false doctrines. Teach them the truth about the gospel. Minister the word of God. That his ministry, his charge was that charge certain persons to not teach any different gospel, whatever else is contrary to the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. You see, the ministry of the Word was central to the ministry of the church. Preaching a bold declaration of a reality and event that has happened in human history, that they were to not be distracted from doing, in, in doing anything else other than that, primarily the preaching of the word. And so we come to 2 Timothy, his final charge. The last chapter, he says this I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Preach. Just like Jesus at the end of Luke. Preach the word. The word is keruso, which just simply means this. To declare it publicly. To herald the word of God. You see, in our day and age, we don't have heralds. Does anybody know what the herald is? Hear ye, hear ye. The town crier. Something significant had happened. And the herald would proclaim it. Right? There was no uh, notifications on people's phones back in the day. If you wanted to know what was going on, if you wanted to know whether or not the king had won the battle, and if they were going to live in light of that victory, you had to hear, hear it from the herald, who would get up and stand up and declare a message that was not his own, and yet came with the full authority of the king. That's what the herald did. The herald declared publicly a message that was not his own on the basis of the authority of the king. And so that's what the church was called to do. That's what Paul is telling Timothy to do. 
declare publicly a message that is not your own. Not based on your authority, not based on your creativity. Go and declare a message that is the Lord's for the world to hear. Declare it publicly. That's what a herald did. Hear ye, hear ye. Listen up. There's a message that you need to hear. And it comes with the full weight and authority of the God who has accomplished much. There are other commands here as well. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort, correct. In other words, warn forcefully. In other words, uh, call them, the people, through the ministry of the word. Elicit a response from people through the public declaration of the word of God. A lot of commands there. Preach, be ready, reprove, uh, correct, right? Exhort. But it's all around the ministry of the Word. It's all a preaching and teaching of the Word of God. It's all about declaring a message of hope in the Gospel of Jesus. You have to devote yourself To that, Timothy. You have to give yourself to this above all else. In my final charge, preach the word. Declare the word of God. Hear ye, hear ye. Saying as you minister to the church in Ephesus, preach the word. John Piper says, preaching is not conversation. Preaching is not discussion. Preaching is not casual talk about religious things. Preaching is not simply teaching. Preaching is the heralding of a message permeated by the sense of God's greatness and majesty and holiness. It is a declaration. It is an announcement. That's what preaching is. In a day and age where people want to discuss and debate and, and, and compromise... And determine meaning through conversation. Fine. But that's not what preaching is. Preaching is not a conversation. Preaching is a declaration that needs to be heard. And God uses it to reveal Himself. We preach what? We preach the Word. Timothy's to preach the Word. He's not to preach himself. He's not to preach practical principles for a better life. He's not to just share some cute human interest stories. He doesn't come with a human agenda. He doesn't even come with a vision and mission of a church. He doesn't come with therapies, self-help motivations. He doesn't come with theories and complex profundities. No, he comes with a simple declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. This is who God is. This is what God has done in Christ. He came, he lived, he died, he rose again, and he's coming again to judge. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be saved. That is a declaration. That is the gospel. That is the word of God. That's what he's to declare. Simple, isn't it? Simple. 
It's a declaration. Church planning, there's always pressure to be relevant. In the early days, someone asks us, hey, uh, how's this church going to be any different? I was a little bit taken back by the question, to be honest. It's like, oh man, I better have a good answer for this one. And then it hits me. It hits me. We're not going to be different at all. Actually, we're just going to keep doing the same thing that the church has been doing for 2,000 years. We've got no tricks up our sleeve. We have a message that will radically transform people's lives. It's the same message that we've been preaching for 2,000 years. We're pretty much going to do the same thing. That's what we're going to do. While culture clamors for us to make changes, to rethink what we do and what we say and how we say it, they want their religious back scratched. They want their, us to satisfy their need for, for relevance and entertainment. Really what they want us to do is cure their greatest felt need. Do you know what it is? Boredom. But here's the deal. Worship is not a cure for your boredom. It's not what worship is. It's not a cure for your boredom. Rather, it is a celebration that Christ has cured us of our real need, sin. That what God has done in Christ has, has, has occurred in history. And that the cure has been given of our greatest, deepest need. Reconciliation with God. We're not here to entertain you. We're here to reveal the truth in a world that suppresses it. So we're boring. Church is boring. Worship is boring. In a not so boring way. We're no fad. Uh, we don't have some new hip thing to do. It's the same boring, eternal message of hope that we declare. At the end of the day, it's the most exciting news that there is, isn't it? Maybe a little boring, that is, it's 2,000 years old. But with all the faddish news and the this and the that out there that here today gone tomorrow is there not an, a joy and a depth that comes with just the simple declaration of the gospel of the word of the objective revealed truth that is written on the pages of this book it's a good boring because it's there it isn't moving it's not going anywhere amen to that Thus, the proclamation of the word of God to the people of God is central to Christian worship. This is what we do. The proclamation of the word of God to the people of God is central to Christian worship. I'll never forget my early days as a young pastor, 25 years old. Uh, you know, if you, move, if you move something 15 feet, you might get in trouble. So I was pastor in a small church, and there was a... Moron leader creates unnecessary conflict. You know this story. Uh, that's basically the gist of it. But nonetheless, it, we had to deal with it. And we had to face what worship really was and what was central to it. And while I probably created drama that didn't need to happen, I had to deal with it now. So I'll never forget, three months into 
uh, my first six months in pastoral ministry, three months in, uh, it hit, and about six months after, we were face-to-face with a quote-unquote debate about the nature of Christian worship. And never forget, somebody stood up and, 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 taught and, and said and declared that, that, that the altar is the center of Christian worship. And with my knees clanking a little bit because I'm young and don't know what I'm doing, I felt a certain boldness come over me because that was truly an error. The altar is not the center of Christian worship. The Word of God is. The Scriptures are. As a 25-year-old kid pastoring a church, boldly declared, and I think it pretty much ended the meeting, this is the center of Christian worship. That's what we do here. We turn our attention as God's people to His Word. His Word. Preaching. Declaring. Exhorting. Correcting. Reproving. Training. Exhorting. Heralding. A message that is not our own, but comes to us written in this book, the Word of God. It is central to Christian worship. The proclamation of the Word of God to the people of God is central to Christian worship. Amen? And yet I think we have more to learn here. Why? Why is the preaching of the Word of God central to Christian worship? If you look back, verse, or chapter 3, verse 16, we get a sense of what Scripture is, what the Word of God is uniquely, uniquely, meaning only the Word of God is this. That's what I mean by uniquely. Only the Word is this. You can't get this anywhere else. Only the Word of God is this. The Word of God is uniquely revelation. Okay, so why, why do we preach the Word? Because the Word of God is uniquely revelation. It is the only revelation from God. Okay? This is God's revelation of Himself to the world. Without it, we do not know Him. It's revelation. Verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. Inspired by God. It comes from Him as a revelation of who He is to a people that without the Scriptures would not know Him. You hear me? Why do we preach the Word? Because it reveals God to people. That's what the Word does. If you remember last week in our intro about this worship, we talked about that worship is revelation and response. God revealing Himself to us and us responding to who He is and all that He has done. 
And so if worship is revelation and response, if that's what's taking place in this moment, and if the scriptures are God's revelation, then they are going to take the primary place in our worship, right? That it's absolutely necessary that we turn our attention to the Word of God. That we give the Word of God prominence in terms of the place in our Christian worship. If we turn our attention anywhere else other than that, we no longer are worshiping at all. At least not the God of the Bible. Absolutely necessary. John Piper says, The Word is so prominent in worship because God reveals Himself as the Word and by the Word. Revelation. If worship is meant to be a spiritual communion with God and a reverent, loving response to God, then at the heart of worship must be the revelation of God Himself. And He has ordained to be known mainly how? By His Word. The Word is God's revelation, uniquely inspired, breathed out by God. That's what Scripture is. But we preach the Word of God in worship also because of what the Word of God uniquely does. It has an impact on us, uniquely. Number one, it saves us. Look what he says in, in Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3. He tells Timothy, but as for you, continue what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. Listen to this which are able to make you wise for salvation. We teach and preach the scriptures because the scriptures save. God saves through the preaching of the word of God. Right? Romans chapter 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? How are they going to call if someone doesn't preach? We preach the word. The power of the word grabs a hold of our wretched, sinful, rebellious heart and warms it, enlivens it, and saves us. That's what the word of God does. It saves. Do you believe that about the scriptures? The scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. The scriptures saved you. That's why we preach them. Uniquely. Nothing else saved you. The Word of God saves. The public declaration, heard and embraced. That's why it's our mission to give every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to what? Hear and respond to the gospel. The Word. Because that Word saves. And we need salvation. We need to be saved. Therefore, we need the Scriptures. And that's why we preach the Scriptures week in and week out. Because they save us. The power to uniquely save us from sin. And some of you know that by personal experience. Remember as a young child listening to the preaching of the Word. And for some reason, when it was boring to everybody else, it grabbed my heart. It, it just, literally, it was like God was speaking directly to me. And he literally stretched out his hand and grabbed a hold of me as a little 
kid that was anxious and angry and proud. And he said, Jesus, he saved me through the preaching of the word, the ministry of the word saved me. And so many of you would share the same thing. There was the preaching, the declaration, the boldness of a faithful saint that did not shy away from declaring to me the truth of the word of God. Isn't that your story? Nobody gets saved on a, with a girl on a swing. They get saved from the preaching of the word. Amen? Not only that, the word of God uniquely profits us. Right? Second Timothy, all scriptures breathed out by God and is profitable. It's beneficial. It does something to us, even those who have been saved. We don't just receive the word and get saved, but we continue to receive and, and, and digest and intake and integrate. Hear the word of God. Continue to respond. And as we hear it and respond to it, guess what happens? God is pouring out his grace. God is changing us. He's sanctifying us. He's growing us. He's building us. He's maturing us progressively. When we hear God's word, it profits us uniquely. So many of us are exhausted and weak and tired and worn out, and we turn to entertainment. We turn away from the things that actually feed the soul. And we turn to other things that world would offer us to medicate us and numb us from the difficulties of life. And we continue to walk by the scriptures that sit on our table. And we neglect that which actually benefits and profits the soul when we walk through the darkest moments of life. The word of God that is profitable, that corrects us in our sin, who illuminates and opens our eyes. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. We don't know what decision to make. We don't know where to go. It is the word of God that is sweeter than honey on my lips. But in keeping your laws, there is great reward. It is uniquely the word of God that profits us so that we might Grow and be trained and be complete and mature for every good work that God has called us to. If you're asking yourself, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to make it. Rest in the word of God. It will be what you need. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Has the word of God lost place in your life? You've got to ask yourself that question this morning. It will not lose place in this worship service. But will it lose place in your heart, in your daily existence? Will it be relegated to a few moments on Sunday? Please don't do that. But please don't over-spiritualize your devotions and miss out on the public proclamation of the Word of God that takes place here every Sunday morning. You need it. It feeds you. It profits you. It benefits you. Drive far. Even when you don't feel like it come, even if you're late, come anyway. Don't miss the preaching of the Word of God. It will profit you uniquely. I've got to warn you. And last, the Word of God uniquely protects us. Verse 3. For the time is coming. The time is coming. When people will not endure sound teaching. Here we go. 
but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Man, the day's coming. The day came. The day came. He's saying that there will be a day where people will grow weary of the Word of God. Eh. Ugh. There'll be a day where people will replace the Word of God. There will be a day where people will turn away from the Word of God. Lose interest in. As I read this, here's what I read. A day is coming when people will listen to what they want to hear so that they can do what they want to do. That's all that it means. There will be a day where people will listen to what they want to hear so they can do what they want to do. Is this not a world in which we live today? And it's easy to point and look at society and say, oh, society today. Sometimes we need a mirror. Stop blaming culture and have an honest evaluation. Is this me? Do I just hear what I want to hear so I can do what I want to do? It's reflective of the poison that was coming into the church then. You think we're not experiencing those very poisons and pulls from society now? You see, the Word of God uniquely protects us from that. It's a constant reminder of the truth. We keep staring at the real deal dollar bill so that when we, we know a counterfeit when we see it. You see, he was faced with false teaching, but so are we. And we combat false teaching with the preaching of the word. It protects us from the poison of hearing what I want to hear so I can do what I want to do. That's what the proclamation of the word of God is. That's why we preach every Sunday. That's why it's central in our worship. Because if we don't do it, we're just going to listen to what we want to listen to so that we can live how we want to live. That's at the end of the day. That's the pull of society. New York Times had an article this week that reported Yale's most popular class. Anybody see that article this week? 1,200 students signed up for this one class at Yale. It's called Psychology and the Good Life. Basically, it's a class that's content is happiness. Happiness. Of all the classes they could have signed up for, these young people just simply want to learn about how to have a better life and how to be happy. 1,200 students. Happiness. People want to be happy. What do they want to hear? Anything that what? Makes them happy. Anything that will make them happier in the moment. That's what people want to hear. I don't know about you, but sometimes the Word of God frustrates me. It makes me a little less happy in the moment. (laughs) 
The self-esteem movement wants me to be happy. The scriptures tell me I'm I'm a wretched man. Not that great, actually. Not without Christ, I'm not. My heart is wicked. It doesn't make you happy when you read that. No one seeks after God. Not one. I do. No, not one. People want to be happy. They want to hear things that make them happy. Is that you? Just want to be happy? It's interesting. Many of you might be getting the Google Home things and Alexa. You might be getting these things in your house, right? The thing you can talk to and it tells you the weather. And you don't even have to move anymore. I don't even, I don't even have to lift my arm to get my phone to check the weather. Hey, Alexa. Like 20 bucks. Tell you anything for 20 bucks. It's pretty awesome, actually. I saw a video this week. You may have seen it. Who knows? It might be fake news at this point. I don't know. But basically, there was a woman asking Google Home uh, questions about particular religion. He said, uh, Google, who is Muhammad? God of Islam. Okay, who is Buddha? Right? Going to Buddhism, long explanation. Uh, Hindu, long explanation. Google, who is Jesus? I can't help you with that. Interesting. Who is Jesus Christ? I don't know, basically. I don't know. I, I can't help you with that. I have no information on that. What is New Age? Long answer. She goes back. Who is Jesus Christ? I don't have any information on that. Interesting. We live in a world that wants happiness without Jesus. That's what we want. That's what our itching ears want to hear. A message of happiness without Jesus. Preaching protects us from that. Happiness without Jesus. Let me be very clear. The Word of God will lay out for you joy unspeakable. Will lay out uh, blessing. New covenant blessing. Right? But it will always be in Jesus. And that's what you need. You need Jesus. You need the Word of God. And when we interact with the scriptures here in our worship services, we're protected from the poison of believing for one second that we will have happiness apart from Jesus Christ. Right? The gospel. Good news. Good news. For all those who hear and respond with repentance and faith. The word of God is central. The proclamation of the word of God is central to Christian worship. I want to challenge each of you to immediately make this an absolute non-negotiable in your life. The corporate worship gathering to hear the preaching of the Word of God. We need to stop making excuses over-spiritualizing why we don't come to hear the preached Word. It's only 52 hours a year. It's not that much time. Increasingly, we're having less and less 
access to the hearing of the preached word. And we're surprised that less and less we see lives marked by the word of God. I'm not saying that your devotional times aren't meaningful. Please pursue God with all that you are 24-7, 365. Don't let Sunday mornings be a replacement for that. But please don't let Wednesday morning with coffee replace this moment where God declares and reveals His message of Christ, of repentance, of forgiveness, of salvation in this setting, in the midst of God's people. A unique moment in the Christian life where that is done. Let us be a people marked by faithfulness to come and hear and and listen and integrate the Word of God into the fabric of our lives. You need this, is what I'm trying to say. And look, we've never been about counting numbers and seats. Nobody's interested in church attendance here. Fewy. What we're interested in is you hearing and responding to the Word of God. And this is a way that God dispenses His grace, provides what you lack to live a faithful life of worship to Him. You say, well, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, you know, I was kind of, it was a good sermon. It was good. Again, we're not here to wow anybody with some impressive presentation. If you believe the Word of God is what it says it is, and you believe that preaching has the place that the Scriptures say that it has, don't underestimate the cumulative effect that it will have on you. Timothy Johnson says this, Do not underestimate the cumulative impact of this weight of Scripture week in and week out throughout the life of the members of churches. Don't underestimate the cumulative impact over the years, week in and week out, of radical commitment to hearing and responding to the Word of God in the context of corporate worship. It will save you. It will profit you. It will protect you. In a way that nothing else will. Period. End of story. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. No excuses. No disclaimers, it will uniquely do what only it can do. And I would say this on the negative side. Don't underestimate the negative influence that the absence of preaching will have in your life. I often say, where would I be? (laughs) I don't want to know. Where would I be if it wasn't for the gospel? Where would I be without Jesus? Where would I be? If, if I, my life wasn't this tethered to the teaching and mission of the local church, where would I be if I didn't know you all? If you weren't in my life, where would I be? I don't want to know the answer to that. I don't want to know where my life would have gone if it were not for the gospel, if it were not for the word of God. Honestly, I don't want to know. But I'll tell you what, if we had any sort of insight into where our life would be without this, we would never miss again. 
preaching the word of God to the people of God? Central to Christian worship. Amen? Let's pray. Father, even now we confess that your word is just a part of our life rather than our life. It's nice when we're thirsty, need a nice warm cup of coffee in the morning, comforts us, makes us feel good. Oftentimes we just simply ignore it once we put it down. It's easy for us to get bored with preaching about a declaration. We hear the same message every single week. It's just, Lord, we confess to you that it's, it's easy to lose sight of the primary place that your word is that preaching has the scriptures have in our life, but we just we praise you right now together that your word alone has saved us, that your word alone has sustained us and grows us and shapes us, that your word alone will bring us to your eternal kingdom. Your word alone will protect us from the lies of Satan, the heresy of society. It will... Protect us from believing for one minute that happiness comes without Jesus. Oh God, may this church be a church that is radically committed to the simple, powerful word of Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.